We are in this series called What We Hold True, and we are looking at the core beliefs and values of agape, and we're trying to do that in such a way that's not just about filling time, and it's really even more than just a reminder. We, we are laying before you, the church, who we are as a church. And Lord willing, sometime this year, we're going to lay before you these things and ask that they be added to our bylaws. And part of who we are is to understand our core belief about salvation, which we've looked at together. Part of who we are is to consider our statement of faith, the core essentials that we say that as long as we believe in these things, this statement of faith, these essential doctrines, then we can be together and grow together in the church. We looked at those last week. And this week, we're looking at a huge part of who we are as we talk about what it means to be a church member and membership. Because a church is made up of those who call a particular place their home. So who we are is defined by those who belong here. And I realize right away that some of you, it's possible, are not that excited by this topic. You might say, eh, I'm already a church member, so how is this going to be relevant to me today? Or, I've been a member in a church before and it did not go well. I'm not going to do that again. I'll attend, I'll go, but I'm not going to be a member. And others might, might say, well, I, I just, I don't really see the point in it at all. I want to say to you this morning, I think this particular topic is critical to the health of our church. Not just today, but in the future. And I don't necessarily mean the sermon itself, but what we're talking about today, I think, has absolute bearing on the health of our church today and the well-being of our church in the future. And I'll go a little further. I think the things we're talking about today have bearing on the well-being of the church, the local church in the future. Parents, I want you to consider that many of you in this room, parents and grandparents, many of you, you attend church, many of you because you grew up attending church. That's not true for everybody, but many of you, that was modeled for you. Church attendance, being a part of a church, it was something that was modeled for you. But we are living in a time where very slowly but steadily, the idea of not just church attendance, but being a part of a church, joining a church, is fading in our culture. It is fading in the church. A 2022 study of theology for the United States said that 49%, okay, so almost half, of all people who identify as an evangelical Christian say they don't have a responsibility to be a member of a local church. They're, they're Christians, they identify as Christians, evangelical Christians, but they say, I don't think we have a responsibility. I don't think I have to be a part, a member of a local church. 62% of Christians who attend church 
said the same thing. I don't really think I have to be a member. I don't really think I have to join a church. I go. I don't think I have to do that. I think parents and grandparents, it's important for us to ask what we model. My mentor used to say that what one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. As we began to loosen our ideas of whether or not we have a responsibility to a local church, we have a generation of people who are watching those decisions we make. They see what we prioritize. They see where we in our lives order participating in the life of the church and being a member of a church. They watch those things. And they will either, when they grow up, build upon what we have modeled for them, or there will be other people that come along in their life and try to reteach them what is right that we did not model. My goals for us this morning, understanding that it, you may have different ideas about this topic in general, my goals are number one, that if you are not a member of this church or any church, that this message today would stir you to consider that and to join. And I will say that it's kind of a running joke among some of us that go to Agape. I've heard people over the years say, well, I'm not sure if I'm a member or not. And we'll kind of joke about that, and I will tell you that I have joked about that, but I also want to lay before you today that as I have thought about that this week, I think it's actually very sad. You should know if you're a church member or not. We should know if you're a church member or not. And I don't lay that at your feet. I lay it at mine. That's my fault. I take responsibility... as a representative of the leaders of this church, that because we know there are churches that overemphasize membership, and there are churches that have taken church membership and wielded it like a sword in an arm-of-the-flesh kind of way to try and get people to do the things they wanted them to do, because there are churches that have done that, I believe that we have swung the pendulum too far the other way, and we have not emphasized church membership enough here. We have not properly said why it is important and why you should consider it. And I hope that in this series that we're doing together, what we hold true, that this is a course correction for us. Not just as a church, but as leaders that in the future we properly understand why we have church membership and we properly exhort you to it. Secondly, I hope if you are already a member, that you will be stirred back to what that means. Back to why you joined in the first place and why you consider that to be important. And I hope all of us will become convinced of our need and our responsibility to be a part of a local church. Those are my goals and my hopes and prayers for this morning. So if you are a note taker and you have one of the worship guides and the preaching guide on the right hand side in the middle, let's start with this statement. Our use 
of the word member comes from the description of the local church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Excuse me, that should be, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so go ahead and make a correction there in your handout. But it comes from the description of the local church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which emphasizes that individual Christians belong in a body of believers. This whole picture that Mike read, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe is talking about the local church. Now you might say, well, it's talking about the church in general. And and yes, in a sense, it is describing the church to us and the makeup of the church. But I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 12 only works in the context of a local church. Because the whole point of it is that as a believer, you are to belong into the body. And the reason that you should belong is because you are an individual member, part of the body, but the body needs all of its parts to function. So if you in this room are an ear, you need eyes. And the eyes need the ears. I don't think Paul is simply saying, well, hopefully... In your lifetime, in the universal church, you'll come across some eyes. And then you'll have sight, and they'll have hearing. That picture doesn't work if your interaction with other believers is so scattered that you only see them once a month, once every few months, or you interact with believers like a part of the universal church, so I'm just always looking on how to... connect with believers, but it's not going to be consistent, this whole picture falls apart. If you look at verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Paul's saying God has brought people together in a local church, and you're not all the same. You don't all have the same gifts. And there is a desire among ears to want to be with other ears because it they get ears because they are one so I, I i like the people that have my personality i like the people that have my viewpoint i like the people that have my style of worship i like the people that have the same gifts i do that's kind of who i want to go and and be with and paul is saying but but god hasn't That's not how he's worked. He's worked to bring all of these individual members and parts together into one body so it can function as a body. He has composed the body the way he wants it to be. So ears love the eyes and the fingers and the feet because you all need one another. That's the whole picture. It only works in the context of a local church. That God composes a local church with the members that should be there. And they work together for the mission of the church. So our use of the word member comes from this description in 1 Corinthians 12, emphasizing that the individual Christian belongs in a body of believers. Now, I think it's possible that you could be here and you could say, well, I, I definitely believe we need other believers. I definitely believe we need community. If you don't believe that, please 
underline verse 19 in 1 Corinthians 12 and meditate on that verse. If all were single members, where would the body be? If you're a pinky and you're cut off from the body, what happens to the body? It's weaker. It doesn't have a part it needs. So the body is not going to function as well as it could function because the finger is detached. What's going to happen to the finger? It's going to die. The body can function without all of the parts. The parts cannot live without the body. Now, am I talking about physical death? Am I talking about spiritual death? What I'm saying is this. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible. There is not a single solitary picture in the New Testament of a Christian that is not attached to a local church. None. Even the missionaries who were sent, sent, attached to a body of believers. And if you try to be a Lone Ranger Christian and do it on your own, you will get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker to the point that it will be like you are dying spiritually. Because God has planned it that way. God has planned that you need the body of Christ to be joined to it with Christ as the head. It's God's plan. It's His plan. It's not even about what we always see as being beneficial. I've had so many people over the years say, well, I just I don't really get the benefit of it. Now, pastoral, shepherding, like I want to walk them through that. The just kind of say what comes into my mind, me, would go, it doesn't really matter if you see the benefit or not, you were told to do it. We start with what God has said. And the benefits come. So I hope you at least see that. The need to be a part of the body. But I realize even if you see that need, you may say, but why one church? Why, why do I need, in this world today, like I need other believers, but why, why one church? Why a physical building? There's online church, there's, there's apps, there's podcasts, there's Bible studies. They're like, why do I need one church? And then if you become convinced of, well, okay, one church is good, then the question is, well, why formal membership? Like, why, why, do, we, why do we need a formal process for that? And why do we need to talk about formalities? Those are questions that I hope to answer this morning. But in your notes... What I want to say to you is this idea of church membership is assumed throughout the New Testament. Someone might say to you, there is no verse in the Bible that says you must join a church and be a member of a church. Now, I think 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the passages that would refute that idea. 
But my response to that is not, okay, yeah, here's the verse that says, I command you join to a local church, be a member of a church. My response is, it's assumed. When you read the New Testament, being a member of a church, it is just understood. The instructions and commands of the New Testament are given in the context of an assumption that you're part of a church and that you belong to that church and that you know you belong to that church and that church knows that you belong there. So let's talk about that. Church membership assumed in the New Testament. Why am I saying that? Why am I making that statement to you that I think membership is assumed? First of all, Church membership is assumed in the New Testament by the establishment of local churches. It is assumed in the New Testament by the establishment of local churches. It's not just the universal church, although the universal church is a reality. When you are born again and you believe upon Jesus, you have membership into the universal church. You are part of all the brothers and the sisters. You are joined to all other Christians in the world. Those living now, those who have lived before you, those who will live after you. And one day, the entire church will live under the authority of Jesus, visibly seeing Him forever. But the New Testament shows us that until that time, local churches have been established. Local churches that represent the universal church and that are given instructions on how to live together. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he, he said, I am writing to the church of God in Corinth. He specified, yes, that letter is good for all Christians. And today it is part of God's Word that we read and learn from, but it was written as a letter to the church of God in Corinth, to the people that belong to that church. And as a matter of fact, most of the New Testament is letters to the churches. And some of them that are not letters to churches are letters to individuals who were leaders of churches. When he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1 verse 2, of Galatians, he says, I am writing to the churches in Galatia, an area, and Paul understood that different churches had been established in that area, and so he said, I'm writing to those who are members who belong to those churches. In Colossians chapter 4, when Paul begins wrapping up the letter to the church in Colossae, he says, take this letter and take it to the church in Laodicea and let them read it. And get the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans and bring it back and read it to you, to your church. Which might have been the letter we call Ephesians, or it may be a letter that Paul wrote to the Laodiceans that God chose to not be in his canon of Scripture. The point is, we see local churches throughout the New Testament, and Paul assumes that believers have gathered in those churches. You don't see Paul saying, now go, and, and by the way, go find the Christians who aren't in the churches and read them the letter. Paul assumes there's churches established in an area and the believers are there. There are believers in these different churches. They belong in those churches and so I'm writing to them. And, I, and some of the letters are addressing specific issues in those specific churches. 
So I think church membership is assumed in the New Testament by the fact that there is an establishment of local churches. Secondly, someone might say, well, yeah, okay, I believe that there are established local churches, but now when you start getting into the formality of it, it's where I have an issue. I think church membership is assumed in the New Testament by the instructions for order in those churches. I believe that you see this in the New Testament because there are instructions for each of these churches to have a particular order. I'm going to use one verse, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus is an associate of Paul, missionary, maybe an elder. But in verse 5 of Titus, Paul writes to him and he says, The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Crete is an island, and there is an area there, and Paul has traveled there, and Titus was with him on a missionary journey, and he is speaking and and sharing the gospel, and Christians are forming, uh, people are being born again, so Christians are being established there, and Paul leaves, but he tells Titus, you're actually going to stay. I'm going to leave you here, and here's why I'm leaving you here. I want you to establish churches all across this area on this island. I want you to put into order. We're not just going to share the gospel and leave. We need now to do what? Establish churches. And how does he define that? He says, I need you to appoint elders. Elders over churches. Elders because elders are going to lead and shepherd as under-shepherds to Jesus. That's the established order. And so the fact that you see these churches that are being established and they have a formality to them shows us that churches are not just loosely affiliated believers. I think there are some Christians who know we ne- they need community and they find that community in coffee shop Bible studies, small groups that meet in homes, parachurch organizations that are brought together for specific purposes, whether missions or discipleship. And by the way, those things, those things are not bad. Getting together in coffee shops to study God's Word or meeting in someone's home for Bible study and fellowship or being a part of an organization, a group that is other believers that are joining together on mission, those are not bad things. But listen, it's not a church. And it should not be treated like your church. It's not. There is a biblical order to churches. If you don't have elders... Maybe deacons and deaconesses, depending on your interpretation of the Word. Exposition of Scripture, devotion to prayers, discipline in the church. These are all things that were established order of churches. Just saying, well, this is my church, this loosely affiliated group of believers I get together with and, and, and we, you know, we talk and study and learn. That's great. 
It's not your church. Don't treat it like your church. Churches have order. And the assumption is in the New Testament is that we would belong to one and we would be devoted to Christ and the people in that church. Let's talk about the order a little bit. Church membership is assumed in the New Testament by the establishment of local churches, by the instructions for order in those churches, including instructions for leading and submitting. Instructions in the Bible for leading and submitting assumes membership. So, Hebrews chapter 13. A verse that I don't preach a lot. I don't bring it up a lot. Because it Perhaps a little awkward, but it is a part of God's Word. The church is told, obey your leaders and submit to them. Alright, so the assumption is you have a leader. I believe it's pointing to the elders of the churches. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Here's my question. What leaders are you called to submit to? Now, first of all, let me just say, some people stumble over that idea altogether, submitting to authority. Some people have been under really bad church authority. And so it's very difficult for them to even approach that idea because They've been hurt by it. Other people simply don't like authority. Let's be honest, pretty much none of us like authority. But they don't like the idea of submission. Some people will never join a church because they will never submit to authority. Their whole reason for not joining with the church, their whole reason for just being in loosely affiliated groups is they don't want authority. But let me go back to my question. How do you know what authority to submit to? Who are you responsible for? The, the preacher that you listen to on the podcast? The celebrity pastor? No offense with that term, but the one that's really well known that you, you read all the articles and you listen to all the sermons? If you're in a loosely affiliated Bible study, who's the leader you're submitting to? If you're jumping from one church to another church to another church, are you supposed to submit to every one of the leaders there? How how do you know who to submit to? And my answer to you is, it only makes sense if there's membership. It only makes sense if there are is within the New Testament the idea of you belonging to being a member of a local church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says something similar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Again, The idea is you have leaders working among you who are over you in the Lord at times encouraging, at times exhorting, at times admonishing. 
And you should consider the things they're saying and esteem them highly even when they have to admonish you. And the whole idea of how that works is you belong to a church and there's leaders in that church. That's the only way it works. So I believe it's assumed in the New Testament. Secondly, I think church membership is assumed in the New Testament through instructions for discipline in the church. Instructions for discipline in the church assumes membership. If we didn't want to talk about submission, I can tell you we don't want to talk about discipline in the church, church discipline. But it is a reality. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, here's how you need to settle disputes among yourselves. If, if, if you have a brother or a sister and, they, and you think they've sinned against you, they've offended you, the first thing you should do is go tell a bunch of other people and then ignore them altogether. Did anyone pick up that that's complete sarcasm, right? Okay, just trying to be funny, but pointing out we don't always do it the right way. Okay, if you have a brother or a sister that has offended you, what do you do? First and foremost, go to them. Go to them. Go, go to them and talk to them. Okay, now, if you go to them and talk to them and you guys have a conversation, and the fact is, you just, you don't think they're listening to you, they're, they're, they're kind of blowing off what you're saying, then, then the Bible says, well, okay, now you could go and get another trusted member of the church and bring them into it, which I, I think is probably best to be the, the leaders, the elders of the church. But bring them into the situation because now what's going to happen is those, those people are either going to tell you, I think you're off in this disagreement, or they're going to affirm to that person, no, you're in the wrong, and, and you're not listening. And then if the person still doesn't listen, then now you've got a situation where Jesus says you, you're going to need to get the church involved. Now here's my question. Who is the church? Does that mean we go and try to find as many Christians as we possibly can and and gather them together in some kind of council? No. It's assuming membership. It's assuming you're in a local church. It's assuming that the people that you know who in that church is the church. Even in the New Testament, there were people that would come in and out of gatherings. But the assumption is Jesus was saying, you will know who is in the church, and so now bring them together and deal with the issue. Very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a pretty heinous situation in the church of adultery and very, very odd situation that's happening there. And, and Paul is writing the church and he's saying, look, you're, you're not dealing with this the way that you should. I think there's an assumption that they've gone through these steps and then the church is just kind of turning a blind eye to the whole thing. And Paul says, no. No, you, you have dealt with this and this person is not repenting. You need to remove them. Now you remove them so that their flesh can be destroyed and their spirit be saved, but you need to remove them. How do you remove someone who's not a part of something? What does it matter if somebody's just going into a church and listening to a sermon? You remove them from the church? They just go visit another church. 
the, the, the idea there is there is assumed membership in the church where that person has said, I belong here. And the church has said, yes, you belong here, but now something has happened and you are pursuing admonishing them in their sin and they're not listening. And so there may come a point where you have to remove them from the membership. You're, you're not part of us right now. It doesn't mean we're, we're not going to love you and pray for you and try to help you, but you're not part of this church right now. That can only happen if you belong, if there's membership. And then finally, I think instructions for mutual care in the church assumes membership. Mutual care in the church. Back in 1 Corinthians 12 that we started with this morning, and reading a few verses that were not in the text we read. It talks about God's work in composing the body and even giving greater honor to parts that maybe lack honor. And then it, verse 25 says, the reason He's done this is so there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The picture that is being painted here is that there is a church that is so closely connected that when one part of it is mourning, the whole church mourns. When one part is honored and rejoices, the whole church rejoices with them. It also promotes among us that we're supposed to care for one another. And if one of us is mourning, one of us is rejoicing, we should join with them. Well, how can you do that without connectedness? How can you do that if there's just loose affiliations that you have with other believers? The way this works in the instructions of who we are to care for is that you belong in a local body. You belong there. And so you know if people are hurting. You know if they're upset and mourning. You know if they're rejoicing and you're able to do those things with them. And this was just very quick and only a few, but I think we could go on, but I'm just going to go back to my primary point. I believe membership is assumed. It's assumed through the establishment of the churches, leadership in the churches, the ideas that the church should submit to the leaders. The idea that there should be discipline in the church. And there may be times where a church has to deal with matters of discipline. And even to the point that someone might have to be at least temporarily set outside the fellowship and that church because of sin. And the care that we're supposed to have for one another, the love, the connectedness we're supposed to have with one another. All of those things, I believe, assume membership. It's just understood that we are to belong together and belong to a body. Now, maybe that convinces you, okay, I should not just be loosely affiliated. I, I shouldn't just consider my Bible studies or small groups or my parachurch group to be my church. I should be a part of a local church. But now, why, why does that have to be formal? Why do churches have to have processes for that? Why, why do we have to have instructions or ideas or policies around membership? So let me try to address that for a moment. 
Why should a believer formalize their membership? Number one, I think it's a visible commitment in a low-commitment culture. By the way, that's not my statement. I stole that from somebody. But I think it is a visible commitment living in a culture that isn't really big on commitment. You could come into a church and you could get involved and you could say, yeah, 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 we, we belong here. But if you've never committed yourself, if you've never told the leaders, we are here, if you've never told the church, we're here, then it makes it a little easier for you if something comes up for you just to move on. I don't really have to worry about the commitment because I, I never actually made one. Or if I did, it was kind of private to myself. One of the things that we do as a church and that we will ask people to do in the future, we haven't always done a great job of it, but if you join here, we want to publicly present you to say, yes, these, this family, this individual, they are joining with us. It's a public commitment. And I think it is helpful for it to be visible that if you were to say, I want to be here, I just don't want to publicly commit that. I think the question should be, well, why not? When Paul was writing to Timothy, and this is not directly about membership, but I thought it was relevant. When Paul was talking to Timothy, he said, don't forget your gifts. Remember when the hands hands were laid upon you and the gifts were given to you. And I think he was pointing back to Timothy's ordination, which would have happened from elders in a church. Paul was saying, remember that. Remember what happened for you in public, in the church, among the elders. And let that stir you to keep serving and living out your gifts. I think part of our public commitment is that it stirs us to stay committed. It should. If we've publicly committed to be a part of a church, then the church should assume we're going to uphold our commitment. And we should assume the church will uphold commitment to us. So I think it's a visible commitment in a low commitment culture. Secondly, it gives clarity to church leaders. It helps church leaders understand quite honestly, who they're responsible for. Let me ask you a question. How many times should a person visit this church before the elders of this church assume responsibility for their shepherding and care? How many times should a, a person come in here and go through a worship service and visit a group before we then say as elders, okay, now we need to care for them. We need to check on them. We need to... If they're not here, we need to pursue them. We need to encourage them. We might need to admonish them. How many times should we do that when someone comes here the first time? And if they don't show up again, should we knock on their door or text them and say, Hey, where you been? Should it be five times? Eight times? What I say to you is, Church leaders have clarity of who they have responsibility for via membership. When someone stands and says, I want oversight. I want to be a part of a church. I want you to care for my soul. I want you to shepherd me. 
And, and I, I want you to encourage me and exhort me. And if needed, I want you to admonish me. I want that in my life. And elders then know, okay, we have responsibility for that person. First Peter chapter 5. Elders are told, I kind of looked at members a moment ago, but elders are told, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Back in that Hebrews verse, it says elders are going to give an account. One day, shepherds, pastors, elders will stand before Jesus and they will have extra accountability before Him. They will have to give an account for how well they watched over the souls of those who were among them. How do they know who they will be responsible for? Who am I going to be held accountable for shepherding when I stand before Jesus? I think clarity in that is the members of the church. The church members. It also gives clarity in your notes to fellow members. In other words, you know who the members of the church are. All right, we had, a, we had someone that called us last week from the community that I've never met before, and they said, we are hungry and we don't have food, and it's just me and my kids. Could you help us get food? Now, here's my, here's my question to you now. What responsibility do we have to feed them? What would you say? What responsibility do we have to feed someone who's hungry in the community? Okay, I would agree with that. I think we have a responsibility to do what we can to help them. Now let me ask this question. What if someone in this church is hungry? Is it the same responsibility or more? It's more. I, now, now someone might struggle with that. They might say, well, wait a minute. I, I think we have equal responsibility. Galatians 6.10 says... As you have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. So I think if someone from our community calls us and they're hungry, we have some responsibility to help them. We should try to help them. I think if someone in this church is hungry, and we know that, and we don't do anything about it, I think that's sin. I think we're sinning against the body. Now, it might be that we need to admonish them to work because they're not eating, because they're not working, and, and things of that nature. But I'm saying I think we have a greater responsibility. I think that's what Paul was talking about to the Corinthians. What did he tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11? He said, you come together and you have these meals and you take the Lord's Supper but what I'm seeing and hearing among you is that some of you, when you come together, some of you have so much, you're getting drunk. And then there's people over here in the same church that they're hungry. And then he says, I don't know what you're taking, but it's not the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to say, don't, don't take the Lord's Supper communion in an unworthy manner. Discern the body. Now, some people believe that meant discern the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus on the cross. Some people believe he's talking about discern the body of Christ among you. I think it's both. I think he's saying, if you're truly thinking about Jesus and his sacrifice of humility, of his willingness to die to serve others, 
then when you come together, you're not going to have some of you over here who have so much that you're getting drunk and other people over here are starving. The fact that you have that means you're not really thinking about Jesus and His church. And then Paul says, that's why some of you have fallen under His discipline. And you've gotten sick and some have died. I think we have responsibility to the church and the members of the church to the point that if we don't take care of one another and we have the means to, it's sin. How do we know who that is? I think church membership answers that question. I'm not saying we're going to ignore someone who's coming in here four, five, six, seven, twelve times if they're in need, but I'm saying it's important for us as a church to know who the church is. It's important for us to understand who the body of believers is here. And then finally, it gives clarity to the one making the commitment. So, it's helpful for you because you know what church you're committed to. But let me, let me say this. I do believe that the gifts that we have and the time we have and the energy we have, that the Lord has given it to us and we should serve. And I think we are to serve people outside the church and people inside the church. I think we should serve in the Bible study at work or, you know, in the, in the small group we're affiliated with or parachurch group or whatever. But let me say this. I believe, based on the New Testament, that the primary use of our resources, our energy and our time and the things that God puts in our hands to serve should be in the church that we belong to. I think we should not serve everywhere else at the expense of that local church. And I think being a member and making a commitment to the church reminds us of that. That when we get to Ephesians 5 and it says... Make the best use of your time. Knowing which church we belong to helps us to understand that. Let me read you a text message that I got from someone in our church last week. And I, I told them I was going to share this without sharing their name, but it was pretty profound to me, so I just wanted to share it with all of you. It says, hey brother, I just wanted to share with you what God put in my head this morning on the way to church and how I felt it directly correlated to the message that you spoke. I was talking about last week. On my way in, I couldn't help but notice over 30 or more churches that I passed to get to Agape. I started thinking that on my way home from work, I passed hundreds of homes. All nice homes, but they aren't mine. They may have nice things and nice people, but they aren't where the Lord placed me. I started thinking of all the churches that I pass, all nice churches, probably great people attending, but not where the Lord has led me and my family to be. Then I get to church and your sermon is on the creed of our church and the values and the things that we hold dear. In all those homes and churches I pass, they're not the family and they're not the faith family that the Lord has chosen for me and my family. If I ever wondered why today's sermon answered those questions for me without even knowing your sermon validated me being in my seat and present at Agape. And I look forward to being present with my faith family every chance the Lord grants me. I think when we know we're home, 
we join. I think we should take church membership so seriously that if you ever found yourself in a community where there is no Bible-believing, healthy church, you should either drive two hours to find one or you should move. I think it should be that important to us. I think we should give of our time, talents, and treasures where God has placed us. I think even if we're going to be somewhere for a short period of time, we should join a church. We had a family that was here a few years ago that they came in, moved from another place. They, they knew they might not be here long, but they wanted to be a member of a church while they were here, so they joined until God moved them somewhere else. I think the health of our church and the health of the church depends upon these things.